Amen. Lord, we thank you and praise you, Lord, that you are such a faithful God, that we can trust in you. In the midst of difficulty, no matter what's going on in life, we thank you that you're a sovereign God who's in control. We ask now as we go to your word that you would be our teacher. You minister to every single heart that is here. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Welcome again to Calvary Santa Cruz. If you don't have a Bible, I know they asked once. Raise your hand. You'll need it. We're going through the word. Amen. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 14. We're going to continue our verse-by-verse study through the, through the New Testament. If, you're, if it's your first time here, I just want to say I'm really glad you're here. I hope you feel welcome. Here at Calvary Chapel, we don't have membership. You show up, you're part of the family. We have Jesus in common, we've got everything in common. Amen? All right. Now, let me catch you up real quick. In case you are first time here or you've been here every week through Romans, you need to hear it again anyway. But I want to give us just the context of where we are in Romans 14. This is a great chapter this morning. And what we're seeing in Romans, as we've talked about so far, this is the book that really speaks about doctrine. Doctrine is just a big word for biblical truth. And it teaches us what we, are, what we believe and who we are in Christ. The first 11 chapters, we saw the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of sanctification. Again, a big word for being set apart unto God. God saved us, and He has a plan for us. So once He saved us, He desires to do a great work in our lives. So He not only saved us, but He set us apart unto good work. And then we saw after that the sovereignty of God, that God is in control. Some of you may be going through a difficult time right now. It may not even, you may think God has forgotten about you. I promise you, He has not. You were always on His mind. He loves you so much. He'd rather die than live without you. And He is in complete and total control. And I'll tell you what that does. As believers, it should give us total peace. Amen? Now, even though we don't understand, know that God does. And we can just rest in Him and have peace in Him. So the first 11 chapters, we saw the doctrine of sin, doctrine of salvation, doctrine of sanctification, being set apart to God, not just Christ dying for me, but Christ living in me. And then we saw the doctrine of sovereignty, which means that God is in control. So that's the first 11 chapters. That's doctrine or biblical truth. Now we get to the rest of the book is all about, another word would be duty. If you have doctrine in the first 11 chapters, you have duty for the last five. Here's what we believe in the first 11 chapters. Now here's how we behave. Now that we know who we are in Christ, now how do we live? So we got to chapter 12, and we began looking there in chapter 12 at how we are to begin to to respond to the work that God has done in our lives. The first thing that we are called to do in in chapter 12 is it tells us that we are to give our lives to the Lord. It says we're to give Him our body, to give Him our mind, to give Him our will. You know, He bought us with a great price. There's no better place you can put your life than in His hands. And so God desires that we give our lives to Him. Then we also saw that we're not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, the world today wants us to conform, go with the flow, be like them, watch the advertising, do everything that the world does. But as Christians, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. We're to be different. We're called to be salt and light. We're called to stick out. We're aliens here. This is not our home. Amen? And so God's God's calling upon our lives. And we talked about this, you're either a thermometer or a thermostat. You either reflect what's going on around you, you just show the temperature, or you change what's going on around you like a thermostat. And God has called us to be thermostats. God has called us to impact the world around us. Not only that, we saw that we're also called by God. He's given us gifts. And He wants us to use those gifts for His glory. If you're born again and you've given your life to Jesus Christ, He's given you spiritual gifts. 
and He wants you to use them. And if you don't, we've talked about this many times, the Dead Sea is dead because it has an inlet and no outlet. I've, I've been in the Dead Sea and that water stings, it's deader than a doornail, okay? So full of salt. But here's the reality, God desires that we would have an outlet, that we would not just come on Sunday and be the biggest, fattest, best fed sheep in town, but that we would take what we've been ministered and we would then pour it out on the world around us. And then we also saw two weeks ago that God desires that we be a reflection of Him. I titled the message two weeks ago, Be the Moon, Reflect the Sun. Remember that? Not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N. You know, the moon reflects because the S-U-N shines on it, and we should reflect because the S-O-N shines on us. And just briefly, we talked about how God's called us to love people selflessly and unconditionally, to be kind and affectionate, to be diligent, to be fervent, to rejoice in hope, to be patient in tribulation. It's those things that when the world sees it in us, they realize there's something different about us. And then last week, we talked about living lives of submission. Not only does God desire that we be a reflection of Him, but He desires that we be an example for Him in the way that we live our lives. And part of that is being in subjection to the government. Now, we don't like that, do we? We talked about this last week, especially when it comes to paying taxes. But the Lord tells us to pay our taxes. The Lord tells us to give honor to those that are in the government. Now, we should vote. We should be diligent to do those things. But here's the good news. No matter who's the next president, God is still in control. Amen? And you can't vote God out of office. You can't, you can't impeach Him. He's still going to be God. You can take Him out of schools if you want. But I promise you, He's still God. And He's still faithful and He's still in control. And God has called us as Christians to be submitted to the authorities that God has placed over us until they tell us to do something contrary to the Word of God. If they ever say it's against the law to teach the Bible, as Pastor Chuck once said, then put a, put a file on a cake and send it to me because you know where I'll be. All right? Reality is that we are to be submitted to the authorities that God has placed over us in our workplace, in our home. If you're a child, if you're submitted to your parents. And at work, submitted to our boss. Even if the guy's a jerk, submit to him. Because that's the way you will win him to Christ. It's kindness that leads people to repentance. When everybody else in the office is murmuring against your boss, you pray for him. Amen? When everybody else is blasting the government, pray for those in the government. And you know what? When everybody else is talking bad about the police officer that pulled them over, you pray for the police officer that pulled you over. Amen? God has called us to be salt and light and submitted to that authority. So that brings us now to chapter 14. And as we come to chapter 14... We're going to continue to look at how we are now to take what we know, that we're born again, we're going to heaven, we have the hope of heaven, the promise of heaven, we have the Spirit of the living God living inside of us. Now how are we to live? Along with being submitted, along with reflecting the Lord to the world around us, we are also to minister to those in the body who are weak in the faith. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I think it's also going to be interesting when you find out God's definition of those who are weak in the faith. But as we go through this, we're going to see again God's calling for each of us that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're to be salt and light to the world, but we're also to love each other. And our relationship with other believers should be an encouragement and a testimony to the world around us. But sadly, since the book of Acts, since the church started, every church that you see in the Bible has had conflict. Does a, does a church in, the, in America today have conflict? What's the answer? Absolutely. Without a doubt. 
Some of what calls itself the church is not even of the church. But even in the true church itself, there's conflict. In Corinthians, we saw the conflict was who they, who they wanted to have as a leader. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, I'm of Christ. I know who I'm with on that list, right? I'm going with Jesus on that one, amen? But the reality is they were battling over who should be their leader. In Galatians, they were biting and devouring one another, it says. In Ephesians and Colossians, they had to be reminded of the importance of Christian unity. In Philippians, two women were at odds with each other, and the result was the church was being split in half. There's nothing new under the sun, and God has called us to be united as Christians. You know one of the things I believe that grieves the heart of God more than anything is division in His own body. How would you, I mean, I, can't, I have four kids at home. What if all four of my kids did nothing but hate each other and talk bad about each other 24, well, that's, well sometimes that happens. But here's the reality. How would you feel you'd hate it as a parent because you love your kids? And how much more does our perfect Heavenly Father want us as His children to be united in our passion and our desire to serve Him and to be salt and light to a lost and dying world. When the world looks at the church, what do they see? Do they see people loving each other or people divided against each other? God has called us to unity. In Psalm 133, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. A lack of unity in the church is not a result of a lack of God's grace. It's a result of the pride of men. The reason that we are not more united in the church is that we all have our own bents and our own slants and our own egos that get in the way. And that's not God's highest. And that's really what the text is about this morning. We have people being self-righteous and condemning others. And there's a lack of real faith and trust in God fully and to walk according to His Word, including holding on to old traditions or, or living lives of extreme liberty. St. Augustine said this, "...in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things charity." While as Christians there are absolute essentials that are non-negotiable, and I want to make this real clear, we're going to talk about unity for the rest of the time, but I want to say this before I do, there are certain things that are non-negotiable, that we don't, have to, we don't debate about and we don't agree to disagree on. Jesus Christ is God, amen? There is no other God beside Him, before Him, or after Him, period, okay? If someone comes and says, we need to be united and I believe in Buddha, well, we got a problem, because Buddha's dead, Amen? And Jesus Christ is a risen and living Savior who triumphed over sin and death. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Jesus Christ lived a sinless, perfect life. Jesus Christ died on the cross and took the sins of all mankind upon Himself. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus Christ is coming back for His church one day. And you know what? Praise God. Amen? Now all of those things, non-negotiable. Every one of those truths... The Bible is the inerrant Word of God, non-negotiable. But there are things that are negotiable. There are things that we should not divide over. Because somebody wants to play an organ at church on Sunday and we have electric guitars, should we divide over that? But sadly, there are churches today that divide over stuff just like that. And really, that's what this text is all about today. That we're not to dispute over these non-essentials. That we can agree to disagree and still love each other. And so, you know, because that's what God wants us to do. God wants us to not be divided by denominational lines or divided by, again, non-essentials. We need to be faithful to the essential truth. So, in Romans 14, I titled the message, Ministering to the Weaker Brother or Walking in Unity. And again, we're going to see that we're not to judge others because of doubtful things. We're not to turn our personal conviction into legalism. And we're not to stumble each other 
over doubtful things, turning personal liberty into a stumbling block. All right, so let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 14. And again, we're going to talk about these non-essentials that people divide over and debate about and bicker about, and it grieves the heart of God. We can agree to disagree. Now again, as your pastor, I'm going to share my heart with you guys. I'm going to share what I believe the Word of God teaches. And certainly I will tell you if something's non-negotiable. But there, again, there are certain things in the Bible where we can agree to disagree. Let's begin in verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Receive one who is weak in the faith. The word receive there in Greek is to take oneself to lead, to take them with you, to lead them, to admit them, to have friendship with them, to have hospitality with them, to embrace and enjoy them with, without passing judgment on the areas where you don't see eye to eye. And sadly, I, it breaks my heart that sometimes, you know, somebody goes to the church down the street and we divide because, oh, well, I don't go to your church. You know, I heard you guys. And I heard, you know, hey, do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? Yes, I do. Do you believe He died? Yes, I do. He rose from the dead? Absolutely. You know what? You're my brother. And we need to act that way in Santa Cruz County. Amen? We got enough people that need Jesus that we don't need to be bickering with the people that already know Him. Amen? We need to be united in our passions for the Lord. And so we see in this text, he says, take one who is weak. And the word here for weak, there's several reasons why someone might be weak in their faith. And we see all of these evident in our city we live in right now. Number one, they may be a new believer. Someone's brand new in their faith. You know, somebody's a baby. Babies are not very strong, right? Babies can't pick up much, right? And babies need to, be, need to grow. The second reason is they may be sick or diseased. We have people come here all the time. Some of you are sitting here right now. That You went to a church before that did nothing but just beat you senseless with legalism before you got here telling you all the rules and all the things you had to do. And the reality is that that's going to bring, produce a weak brother because they have not, or sister, they've not been taught the truth. The third thing is they may be malnourished. You don't feed somebody, they die. Right? And the reality is there's a lot of people, they may have been going to church five years, ten years, twenty years, and they're still weak in their faith because they've never been properly fed. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? Word of God, it's not the five keys to joy or the seven steps to financial freedom or the three ways to improve your marriage or whatever. It's the Word of God that transforms lives, amen? And people have been going to church, some of them, for years, years and years, and they have no idea what the Bible says. They're a weak brother, so what should we do? We should welcome them in. We should encourage them. We should embrace them. We should love on them. We should share the truth with them. And they may also, lastly, along with being malnourished or being diseased or being a baby, they may lack exercise. They may be one of these all-inlet and no-outlet kind of people. You're not going to grow if you don't exercise. You're going to get lethargic, and you're going to be weak. And as Christians, I'll tell you what, you know, you want to grow spiritually, start ministering to people. Amen? You want to grow, start doing ministry, and you will grow. You're going to get challenged, and you're going to grow. That's what will happen. And so we see each of these things, those who are weak in the faith, but it says don't dispute with them over doubtful things. Don't bring them in and then just start pounding on them. Where have you been going to church? Oh, really? I, oh, well, you know, and then just start going off on somebody. That's just wonderful, right? Here's the reality, guys. Let's just love them. Amen? Sometimes I'll hear somebody, somebody's new, and they'll start telling me something, and I'll listen, and, and I don't agree, but, you know, most of the time, especially if it's not an essential, I just let it go. 
I just figure, you know what, just come and hang out here for a while. I'll just, we'll just love on you and teach you the Word, and God's Word will minister to your heart. I don't have to take you into the corner over there and beat on you till you agree with me. Amen? But sadly, that's how some people are. You know, it's this whole passion of you've got to think just like me in every single aspect of ministry, and if you don't, then I'm... Hey, that's why there's so much division in the body of Christ. We need to be united in those things which are essential and have charity or liberty in those things that are non-essentials. But rather than embrace them and love them and minister to them, again, quite often what happens is people attack them. Over time, as they are loved and welcomed and taught, they'll grow spiritually and they'll mature into belief. And they won't be sick anymore. They won't be babies anymore. They will be well-fed and they'll grow. Some of you guys, you could probably stand up and say, that's me right there. I started, you know, I went to church before, they didn't teach the Word, and I've been here two years, and man, I've grown so much, I can't hardly stand it. That's because it's the Word of God that transforms every single one of our lives. If we receive them, and attack them, and debate them over the non-essentials, we may win the battle, but we're going to lose the war. We'll debate them right out of the church. Amen? That's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to love people. I'm learning more and more and more to love people Love them more and debate them less. Just love them more, debate them less. We're on the same side, amen? Let's start with what we have in common. Let's talk about that. Again, over time as we get to know each other, and maybe there's, you have a question or an issue, I certainly will address it, but God's Word will address all the issues and we'll just teach it, amen? And that's where we're, our lives are going to be transformed. That's where we're going to change. That's where we're going to grow, not sitting over in the corner and splitting hairs over every theological truth in the Bible. Again, we don't compromise the essentials, but there are areas where we don't need to get so uptight. Again, I'm not saying we water down the truth, we'll never do that here, but don't automatically attack a weaker brother, instead love them, and just watch them grow as they're ministered to the truth of God's Word. Verse 2, for one, who, one believes he may eat all things, but one who is weak eats only vegetables. This encourages me because I love meat. How about you? All right? Four-footed dead animal, good stuff. I like it. Now, I want to make this clear, though. This is not talking about vegetarians. Let me tell you what this is talking about. This is a situation where in those days, in the time of Paul, there was debate over whether or not they should eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And there were those who were very legalistic and said that meat was sacrificed to idols, we can't eat it, it's, it's bad. Or, the other potential problem was that they were still holding on to the Jewish law that said they were only to eat you know, kosher meat and there were certain things they weren't supposed to eat. Now, Acts chapter 10 had already taken place. What did the Lord tell Peter? Rise, kill, and eat, right? And so, it had already been, God said, what I have called clean, let no man call unclean. But sadly, we had these guys who were legalistic who, who said, we eat only vegetables because we believe that that meat is tainted. And, we don't, and they didn't fully grasp the Word of God. So it's interesting that those who were called weak in this text are the ones who are legalistic. You know, in the world today, we think the ones that have the highest holy standard are the ones that are the most spiritual sometimes. I want to tell you, that's not always true. I think a lot of times the people that are extremely legalistic are the weakest people around because they're trying to somehow earn their, their salvation. They're trying to, you know, to have good works and do things. Hey, it is finished. Jesus Christ paid the price. Amen? 
It's by grace we've been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. What is legalism? Legalism is taking a personal conviction that you have and trying to force it on somebody else. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit must minister to somebody's heart. The Holy Spirit has to soften their heart for them to see their need for it. I learned a long time ago that I can't put my convictions on you, nor should I. Now again, in the areas of the essentials, absolutely. In the areas of Jesus Christ's death on the cross, without question. But what about, you know, I've run into guys that say, if you have drums at your church, that's from the devil. Seriously. I've had people tell me that. You know, do you know when Christian radio first started that most churches were uh, coming out against it because they said Satan was the prince of the power of the air? So you shouldn't be on the air because Satan owns the air? Praise God for Christian radio, amen? Aren't you glad it's there? And the reality is that some people get real legalistic and they have a conviction, so now they say, I'm convicted, so you all must be like me. That's legalism. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm going to say this a hundred times because I want to make sure it's clear. I don't want people walking out here to pass they said we believe whatever we want. No, that's not what I said. It's the Word of God is still the foundation. But there are non-essentials. And what I mean by that, you know, the way that we worship, how we meet. You know, some people think that we're all heretics because we, we meet in a gymnasium, right? We don't have any stained glass in here. We're probably going to hell, right? I mean, you know what I mean? And there are certain people that have certain ways of viewing how things must be. Some of you have told me, you've invited people to church, they walked in and saw it was a gymnasium, and they left. I'm not, I'm not going to church in no gym. That ain't right, you know what I mean? Now, good news is that God's here, amen? And do you know, in the book of Acts, they met from house to house. So this is a big house, right? Amen? And this is where we're meeting. But I want to see again that it's very interesting to me that those who were referred to as weak were those who were legalistic. Those who looked at others and said, you guys have to live the way that we live. And the reality was that they were the most biblically illiterate of the people because the Lord had said, rise, kill, and eat. And these guys had liberty in Christ to eat whatever. They said, hey, the Lord told us we could eat whatever we want. We're eating it. And then these other guys said, we're only eating vegetables, and you guys are a bunch of backsliders because you're eating meat. Right? Now look at the next verse. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Now I love this because, again, if you have a strong conviction one way or the other, then God bless you, and you need to be obedient to the conviction that you have. I'll give you an example. I have, we have parents in this church who have a strong conviction to homeschool their kids, and I think that they should absolutely do that with their whole heart. Then we have people that have a strong conviction to have their kids in Christian school, and you should do that with your whole heart. And then we have people that have strong conviction that their kids need to be in public school so they might be salt and light to a world that desperately needs to hear about Jesus. And I believe they should do that. Amen? Now, should all the homeschool people condemn all the public school people or all the... No. Why? Because we need to each be obedient to the conviction that God has placed upon our heart. Legalism would be for me to stand up here and take one of those three positions and tell everybody else, if you're not doing what I'm doing, you're all out of God's will. He says in this verse, don't despise those who eat only vegetables. If that's their conviction, then God bless them. And don't despise those who are eating the meat because that's their conviction, so God bless them. Because it's not something contrary to the taught Word of God. 
You know, legalism, it just kills the love of God. Have you ever met somebody who's super legalistic that has a lot of joy and love? I haven't. I haven't met them yet. Every time I meet somebody legalistic, it's like they've been sucking on a lemon. You know? You know? Right? Hey, joy of the Lord. God bless you, brother. Right? I want to be just like you. Right? The reality is that it's by, the, by our love. It's kindness that leads people to repentance. We ought to be the most loving, joyous people on the planet. Amen? Because, first of all, we know where we're going. We're going to heaven. Our best friend created the universe. The Spirit of the living God lives inside of me. I have nothing to fear, nothing to be anxious about, nothing to worry about. And the world around me is trying to figure out what the meaning of life is. And if I'm walking around going, yeah, you shouldn't do that, yeah, you shouldn't do that, you should, you know, hey. Shouldn't be surprised when the world acts like the world, amen? Sinners need a Savior, and that's all of us. And when we see the world acting like the world, we ought to pray for them. And we ought to be so in love with the Lord that people will see us and say, man, there's something different about you. And it's not because we're pointing fingers at everybody, but we're loving them. Amen? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and pointing fingers and being legalistic. No. It's love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And you know what? I'll tell you what. If we all were just so in love with the Lord... Man, what kind of impact will we have on the world around us? We are to simply accept and receive one another in love and not dispute over the non-essentials. If God has convicted someone about their diet, then God bless them. And you be obedient to what God's convicted you to do. And you shouldn't condemn them for their conviction, but neither should you, if you've been convicted about your diet, convict those who haven't been. Leave that in God's hands. God doesn't convict everybody the same way. And praise God for that, because He's got different callings on each one of our lives. And don't try to force your opinions on others, because as soon as you do, again, what are you? You're a legalist, and you have no joy. You know what? Legal, people that are legalistic are not fun to be around. They're just not. Dude, if you're always rapping on me about how i got to do this, change that, hey, thanks a lot. i got the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I don't need your help. Amen? Now, there are times that we are to exhort each other and to encourage each other, but that's in the essentials, amen? That's in the, the truth of God's Word, not in the secondary issues. Remember that the church is a hospital, not a police station. People come here to get well, not to get beat up with batons, amen? You guys didn't come, I'm going to go to church on Sunday so the pastor can wail on me with a stick for a while. That'll really help me, make me feel a lot better, right? That's not why you came. You came because we're sinners, all of us, in need of a Savior, and because we want to know our Savior better. We want to grow in our relationship with Him. And He's a loving and a gracious God. Verse 4. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his master he, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Who are you to judge another's servant? Whose servant are we all? We're God's servant. So who is the one who will judge us ultimately? God will. Amen? Judge not lest she be judged, right? We are going to be judged by God. Now that's enough for me. Knowing that, God, that I'm going to stand before God and be accountable for the way I've lived my life, that, that's enough. That keeps me seeking His face and falling hard after Him. And we see here that they will stand or fall before their own master, and their master is God. So these people that you can't stand... 
And these people that you don't understand, God will make stand. Amen? Because God is in the, in the business of transforming lives. Now, yet one more time. This doesn't exclude Matthew 18. It doesn't exclude going to your brother who's in sin. You know, if, if one of you is in adultery and somebody else in this room finds out, you should go to them. Don't run, tell the whole church, go to them. Amen? Matthew 18, say, hey, bro, I, tell me, is this true? Now, that's not you being a legalist. That's you, with the essentials of the Bible, going to somebody in love that they might be restored to right fellowship with God. That's different than you going and telling somebody that they don't worship on the right day or eat the right things or do the things the way that you believe that it should be done. Conviction over the non-essentials. God will judge His servants' obedience to the convictions He has given them. And God is able to make them stand. Verse 5. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. So it wasn't just about diet. He wants to make it clear that controversy was about a lot of things. So first one he mentions is diet. The second one he mentions is the day that they had services on, or that they met, that they called the Sabbath, or when they had, when they had church. Now, we meet at a Seventh-day Adventist school. And the Seventh-day Adventists, one of their main tenets is that they should meet on Saturday. They believe that's the Sabbath. Now, some Seventh-day Adventists even believe that if you meet on Sunday, you've taken the mark of the beast. Now, Larry, the people here don't believe that, or we, we wouldn't even be here, okay? But the reality is that there were some that believed that way. Now, if they want to meet on Saturday and they believe in Jesus, God bless them. Amen? Why do we meet on Sunday? Why do we meet on Sunday? Resurrection. Resurrection. In the book of Acts, it says they met on the first day of the week. It says in Corinthians, it says in several places throughout the Word, and they met on the first day of the week, and they did it because that's when Jesus rose from the dead. But do you know what? Every day is the Lord's day. Amen? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, every day. Now, we should have one day a week, I believe, where we take time off of work, and we rest in the Lord, and we spend time in His presence, and I think that's important that we do that. But you know what? At this church, I think... We have pretty much every day covered where you can go to something every day. Now, they're not all the Lord's, you know, they are all the Lord's day, but they're not that one day that's been set aside. So he says here, let each one of you be fully convinced in his own mind. What is God calling you to do? What is God telling you? When should you meet? And whatever that day is, you be convinced in your own mind. Again, not let it be convinced in someone else's mind who picks at you until you agree with them. But let you be convinced in your own mind. Verse 6. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he, observe, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. Going back to the meat eaters and the vegetable eaters again. Those that eat meat, thank God for the meat. Those that eat vegetables, thank God for their vegetables and God bless them both. Amen? And the point he's making is that we need to thank God and be faithful to the convictions that He's placed in our life and be obedient to them. Because that's what we will be accountable to Him for on Judgment Day. You know what? There are things I'm convicted about today that I was not a year ago. And I know that a year from now, there'll be things I'm convicted about that I'm not right now. I'm continuing to grow in my faith and my relationship with God. And the same is true of you. Should we expect the convictions of somebody who's been saved a month to be the same as somebody who's been saved for 30 years? No. But sometimes we do that. Someone's a new believer, and we get them in the corner and start telling them the 9,000 things they've got to do tomorrow. Right? And, I, you know, I, I, I grew up in churches like that. 
And, you know, somebody gets saved and, you know, they, they got to, okay, you got to get rid of your cigarettes, you got to get rid of that, you got to take care of that, you got to get rid of that, you got to, you know, and the poor guy, you know, hey, it's just love them and teach them the word and God will convict them and they'll get rid of all that stuff, amen? We don't have to take them over and beat them up. Love them. Minister to them. It's a hospital, not a police station. The Holy Spirit will touch their hearts. He's not the author of confusion. We need to do all that we do for the Lord and God will bless it. Verse 7. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. If you didn't know this, your life is not your own. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. And he paid a great price for it. Amen? Now, because my life belongs to the Lord, we all have an impact on those around us. Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. And God saved you to use you. And whether you do every, whether you're faithful and obedient to all that God's called you to do, or you do nothing, you're having an impact on those around you. And you can either have a positive impact or a negative one. From beginning to end, our lives are being dedicated to God. Therefore, whatever we do, we do it to the Lord, magnifying Him in our life and even in our death. The one of the worship leaders over in San Jose just passed away about a week ago or two, a week or two ago. His nephew is Jesse, who's usually here and plays the bass. And I love what he said. He had cancer and he died slowly. And what he said, his last month, he said, you know, I just want to glorify God in the way that I die. I want my kids to see that I have peace while I'm dying. You know what? Christians die well. Why? Because we know where we're going. I told you this before. I get hit by a bus, guys. Have a part, because I'm in heaven, and I'm not thinking about you. I love you guys, but when I'm with Jesus, sorry, okay? You're not going to be a topic. I'm, I'm not praying for you, interceding. God, that's the Lord's job, amen? I'm going to be in heaven where gold is asphalt, amen? Where Almighty God is there. There's no sorrow, no pain, no suffering, no weeping. And so the reality is that we weep because we miss them, but we grieve, but not as those without hope, amen? We know where we're headed. We're going to spend eternity in heaven, and praise God for that. And so Christians die well. And we live to the Lord and we die to the Lord because we belong to Him. Verse 9. For to this the end Christ died and rose and lived again that He might be both Lord of both the dead and the living. Jesus died and rose again paying for our sin. And I love this because again He did it to show us that our lives have been paid for. He rose from the dead to show that we would rise from the dead. He rose from the dead showing that we've triumphed over sin and death. And as followers of Jesus Christ, He is both Lord of the dead and the living. So if He's Lord of the dead, what does that mean? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The dead aren't dead. They close their eyes on earth and they open them up in heaven. Amen? You blink and you're in glory. It's just moving day. Right? And when you close your eyes and you open them up in the presence of the creator of the universe. And because he died, we can have peace in death. And because he rose from the dead, we have assurance of our resurrection. And because we follow Christ, that's our hope. Now, if you follow somebody else, some other God, some other guru, some other Messiah, well, how he ended up is how you're going to end up. Amen? Jesus rose from the dead. Muhammad did not. Buddha did not. Right? Charles Taze Russell, Mary Baker Eddy, Joseph Smith of the Mormon Church. 
dead, 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 dead. Amen? And you will follow the one who you call Messiah. But it says here, because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, we have triumphed over sin and death. And praise God for that. Death has no sting for a believer. We have, to, we have nothing to fear in death. I can't, I, I'll be honest with you. You know, if I get hit by a bus, that's okay with me. I've given God permission to have me be hit by a bus. It's okay. Lord, it's, if that's your will, that's all right, right? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In the fact that we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we are neither to judge our brother, you know, writing him off as an unspiritual meat-eating compromiser, right? Meat-eater. Or show contempt, regarding him as a weak, uptight legalist, right? Eating vegetables, uptight legalist, right? We're not to do either one of those things. We're not to judge our brother, and we're not to show contempt for our brother. We're to love him. And, that, and we are to be obedient to our convictions, not try to put our convictions on somebody else. Leave the judgment in God's hands. Verse 11, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Now the judgment seat that is in verse 10 is talking about, it's a word you've probably heard, it's the Bema seat. As Christians... Will we stand before God to be judged for our sin? What's the answer? No. We have been forgiven. Amen? Aren't you glad? But we will stand before God, the Bema seat judgment. That's the word that was used for when they had Olympics, even back then. And they would bring in those who had won the race and they would give them crowns for first and second and third place. It was called the Bema seat. That's the word for judgment here, the judgment seat. And we will stand before God, and, and this just blows my mind, I don't know about you. He died for us, He created us, we sinned and rebelled against Him, He died for us, He paid the price, He, he took all of our punishment upon Himself, He saved us, He then gives us His Holy Spirit and we simply respond to Him, He then gives us gifts, and we use the gifts He's given us, and He rewards us for using the gifts He's given us. What an awesome God we serve, amen? That just doesn't even seem right. How can you, and you know, there's a belief, and I, and I, I hold to this myself, that he's going to give us crowns, and I think they're all going to end up right back at his feet. Amen? If anything he gives, oh, oh, no, 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 right? Back to you, Lord. But we see here that we will stand before God, and we will be judged for how faithful we were with the gifts he's given us. He's given all of us gifts. What are we doing with them? How are we using them? Are we using them for God's glory? If He's given you the gift of, of worship, are you using it? If He's given you the gift of, of teaching, are you using it? If He's given you the gift of helps, are you using it? Pray about the gifts you have and use them for God's glory because we will stand before Him one day and be judged for how faithful we are to use the gifts He has given us. But it says here that every knee shall bow to me. In Philippians, it says, Christ emptied himself, was obedient unto death, even the death on the cross, wherefore God has exalted him and given him the name of every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. All who appear before God will be humble. Have you ever met somebody that says, well, I get up there to talk to God. I got a few things. I'm going to talk to him. Have you ever met anybody like that? I got a few things I'm going to talk to God about. I can't wait to get up there. I'm like, dude, you're going to be flat on your face, 
you can be talking about nothing. You can go, oh, right? Amen? That's the truth. But you know what's awesome? Muhammad bowing to Jesus. Buddha bowing to Jesus. Charles Taze Russell, Mary Baker, if you know these church religious science, all of them bowing to Jesus because he alone is God. And he created them. And every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's an essential, verse 12. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. So again, as I just said, I'm going to give an account for my faithfulness to my calling, for the use of the spiritual gifts God's given me, for stewardship over my finances, what kind of man I've been, what kind of husband I've been, what kind of father I've been, what kind of employee I was, what kind of neighbor am I, what kind of pastor am I. I'm going to be accountable for all of that before God. Now again, my sin's been forgiven, but all of those things, I will either be rewarded for them or I'll be accountable for God, before God for not using them for His glory. God gives us gifts again that we might use them. I'll be responsible for what I've done and you'll be responsible for what you've done. I should be focused on my own walk and not my brother. You know what, when I realize again I'm going to stand before God for how faithful I've been with the gifts He's given me, why am I so worried about how other people are doing with their stuff? Amen? I need to look in the mirror and say, okay Lord, am I being faithful? Am I being obedient? Am I using the gifts you've given me? May we not judge each other in doubtful things. May we not turn personal conviction into legalism. Verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a, not to put a stumbling block or to cause to fall in our brother's way. How do you cause someone else to stumble? Here's how we do it. Where before legalism was taking personal conviction and making it someone else's, I'm convicted that, that I should never drive in a car. So if you drive in a car, you're going to... Wait, wait, dude, God didn't tell me that. Go away, right? Often, though, we'll take a conviction and we put it on somebody else. That's legalism. But on the other extreme, you have liberty. Where because we say, oh, well, I'm a Christian. I've been born again. I can do this. But doing it, causes somebody who's weaker in the faith to stumble. I'll give you a couple examples. First of all, for a pastor, it's real clear to me, 1 Timothy chapter 3 says, I'm not to drink any alcohol, period. 1 Timothy chapter 3, for a pastor, not given to wine. So for, not that I ever really cared about it anyway, because it all tastes like garbage, but uh, I didn't like it. First time I taste it, I said, this is wrong. Praise the Lord, Okay. But I don't drink alcohol, and I haven't for 20-some-odd years. But I'll tell you what else I feel convicted not to do. I don't drink virgin drinks. I don't drink non-alcoholic beer. Why? If one of you came into a Mexican restaurant, and you saw your pastor drinking a, a virgin margarita, you might not come over to the table to ask me how, if there's alcohol in that or not. Amen? And what am I doing? I'm stumbling Somebody maybe who's new in their faith that's struggling with alcohol, and they go in and they, they think they see their pastor drinking alcohol, and then they think, oh, well, I, well if the pastor can do it, then, then I can do it, right? And so that's what it's talking about here is we are not to put a stumbling block in front of the weaker brother in the faith. We're not to do things that would harm them and cause them to fall in their walk with the Lord because of the way we're living our lives. We may have liberty with God to drink a virgin margarita, but 
We also need to be faithful to understand that it might stumble somebody else, and we don't want to put a stumbling block in someone else's way. Let us not judge one another, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, but He was talking about don't judge people in the way you don't want to be judged yourself. And don't turn that personal liberty into a stumbling block. Don't say, well, I've got freedom in Christ and disregard the people around you. You may have freedom and you may not be convicted about certain things, but if what you're doing is stumbling somebody else, that is not what God wants you to do. God wants us to be an encouragement to those who are weaker in the faith or those who are struggling or those who are new believers. Don't do something that will struggle them. Don't put a stumbling block in their way. Verse 14, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus there is nothing unclean unto itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So again, Paul says, look, I know, because first of all, Paul is a mature believer. He's writing, the, he's writing the New Testament. Paul says, I know that there's nothing unclean unto itself. I already know that. But to those who believe it's unclean, because they haven't fully grasped it yet, to them it is. It's conviction in their heart, and I'm going to stumble them if I do something that's contrary to what they believe. Jesus said, it isn't what goes into a man's mouth that defiles him. So that means we can eat whatever we want. And I like that. Barbecues are good, all right? So we can eat whatever we want, but at the same time, I've been to Russia seven times. And in the times I go to Russia, when you go into somebody's house, and if you like Russian food, God bless you, okay? But, you know, and I'm not picking on any, but that stuff is flat out bland. I'm sorry, all right? And I remember a couple of times I went into some houses. One of them was in Siberia. You know where Siberia is? You go to nowhere and you go about a thousand miles past that. <laughs> well, I'm out in Siberia. It's 60 below outside. And he goes, I went to someone's house. They invited me over. And they had a bunch of people over. And they handed me this real hard, like, crusty bread with a big, thick, that deep of, mar- like, margarine, greasy kind of stuff with raw sardines on it. And they were giving me the best. Now, I could have looked at that and went, uh, please, right? And I would have been stumbling, my brother. Seriously. Because to them, they were giving me the best. And so your pastor smiled and said, Lord, help me. <laughs> Why? Because the Lord wants us not to stumble people over food or stumble them over days of the week, but just choke down them sardines and that big fat pat of margarine and just smile and, Lord, help, right? Throw it with greasy for a month. But, you know, there it is. Now, The Lord desires that we, again, would not stumble people over the non-essentials. Not stumble them over things that don't determine salvation. Don't be embattled over stuff that means nothing in the eyes of the Lord. To someone it's unclean. To you, you may be mature enough to realize that's not a problem. But if you do it in front of that person and you cause them to stumble, it's sin. We should never do that. Verse 15. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Is God pretty serious? He says you need to walk in love. The word there for love, guess what it is? I'll give you one guess. Walk in love. What do you think that word might be? It's agape. Walk in selfless love. Esteem others greater than yourself. And so when you're sitting there and they put that food in front of you or they, you know, they want you to do something, you say, okay. Because you don't want to bring harm to what Christ has done because of food or because of days of the week or things that are non-essentials. Don't allow those things to get in the way of the gospel. 
While we have freedom in Christ, walking in love means not exercising that freedom if it's going to stumble my brother. And he says there, do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. If Jesus was willing to die for, a bro- for somebody, and he was, then I should be willing to eat a sardine sandwich. Amen? I should be willing to give up my steak dinner. I should be willing not to drink virgin margaritas that might stumble somebody even if I like them. It's having an eternal perspective and understanding, you know what, I know I have freedom, I know for me it's not sin in and of itself to do it, but if it's going to harm somebody else, then I shouldn't do it. Does that make sense? We're all grasping this, okay? So keep that, be be praying, Lord, is this going to stumble somebody else? I know I have freedom in you to do it, but I don't want to do it if it's going to give the appearance of evil. Give you an example, another example of that is the Bible tells us very clearly that we're supposed to be married before a man and a woman live together. And I've had couples sit in my office and tell me, well, we live in the same house, but we're not sleeping together. I saw I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. But no, but here's the reality. That's the appearance of evil, even if that's true. Amen? And you're going to stumble people, right? They won't know. They don't know what's going on. So again, it's that appearance of evil. We need to be careful of it. Again, not being legalistic, but that in their eyes looks like adultery. We need to be careful as the one who's stronger in our faith to say, you know what, I don't want to stumble anybody else. I don't want to cause anybody else around me to fall. Verse 16, we're almost done. Therefore, do not let good be spoken of as evil. Our liberty, our freedom from the law in Christ is good, but if we use our liberty and our freedom to destroy a brother in Christ, it is evil. Just be praying about the situations you're in. Pray about the things you do at work. Pray about the things you do in your neighborhood. You may have freedom to do them, but if you're stumbling somebody else, it's sin. Verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If we place food and drink before righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit, then we are hopelessly out of touch with God's priorities and His heart, placing doubtful things above sharing the love, peace, and grace of God. Guys, it's not about the externals, it's about the eternals. It's about where we spend eternity, and too often we get our eyes on stuff that is passing away. Verse 18, For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which He made for peace and the things which one may edify another. You'll be acceptable to God and approved in the eyes of men if you focus not on meat or drink or controversies or confrontations, but on living a righteous life and esteeming others greater than yourself. Remember, agape is esteeming others greater than yourself. If you esteem others greater than yourself, no meal is worth stumbling them. Nothing that you own or possess is worth stumbling them. I'm very careful about, you know, where I live even. The car that you drive. I mean, don't stumble people. Be praying about those things that you might honor God in your actions. Verse 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It's evil to destroy the work of God while exercising your liberty from the law. Focus ministering on people, not exercising my rights. Our focus ought to be on your co-workers, on people, on honoring God, not saying, I have the freedom to do this. It's not freedom to do it, again, if it's going to harm your brother. Last two verses, three verses. It is good neither to eat, drink, eat 
meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Stay away from anything that would stumble your brother. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. You're a happy man when your heart doesn't condemn you when you realize you've been forgiven you're walking in grace you have liberty in christ but you don't allow your liberty to cause others to stumble last verse but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith for whatever is not from faith is sin if we act contrary to our convictions it's sin so pastor dave you're telling me that a new believer could actually do something and for that person it wouldn't be sin and it might be sin for me, I believe that that's absolutely true. Because I believe that God gives, makes my convictions greater and greater the closer I am to Him. And I need to be obedient to my convictions in my own heart. But if I take those convictions and I place them on somebody else, what's that called? Legalism. And if I take my liberty, right, and force it on somebody else, I'm putting out a stumbling block. God has called you and I to be obedient to what God has placed upon our hearts. Again, the essentials, we never compromise them, ever. But we shouldn't be fighting over, and I'll close with this, this is comedy, but when I was, my pastor down south told me he went to a church one time, and when he went out to visit this church, he was, out in the, on the, he was in seminary, he goes out to this church, out in the middle of nowhere, it's this little tiny church, and the church is falling apart, but when he gets inside, they got a brand new piano on one side, and a brand new organ on the other side. And half the people are sitting over here all the way to the wall, and the other half of the people are sitting over here all the way to the wall. And he walks in, and he's like, there's not that many people here. Why don't we all scoot together into the middle? And, we, and he brought the pulpit down, and nobody moved. He's like, what is going on here? And he found out later that the church only had enough money for a piano or an organ. And the people fought so much about it that they bought a piano and an organ, and the piano people sat on the piano side. And the organ people sat on the organ side. Meanwhile, the church had busted out windows and was falling apart. It's, it's out of control. Now what is that? Again, what were these people concerned about? They were more concerned about themselves. They were more concerned about their desires. They weren't worried about how they ministered to others. They had... There are convictions, but again, our liberty should not bring harm to others. We should not place our conviction on others. So in conclusion, behold how good and how pleasant it is for us to dwell together in unity, in the essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. May we be a testimony to the lost by the unity and love we have one for another. By the way, got a letter this week from a lady, and I just want to share half a sentence with you. She came here for a month. She was here on vacation and she said, I've never been to a church where the people loved me more than Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. Amen. I was weeping when I got done reading it. She said, you guys love me, you welcomed me, you taught me, and now I have to find a church where I live like that. That's unity. Amen? That's looking at someone and loving them the way the Lord preached the word and loved the people. Amen? May we be a church that's known for that. May we esteem others greater than ourselves. May we focus on our own walk and leave judgment of others to the Lord. And may we never exercise our liberty in Christ at the cost of stumbling our brother. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You that You love us. We thank You that You died that we might have eternal life. 
And Lord, I pray that we would be an example of your love in the way that we love each other. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for this body of believers that do love each other so much. And I pray, Lord, that, we would, that that would continue to carry on as our church grows, that we would never lose sight of that, that we would love you first and foremost, and then, Lord, that love would be poured out on each other. Lord, I pray for every person that walks in the door, that they would feel welcomed and loved, Lord, and realize that we are just one big family. Lord, I pray also that you'd help us as we go to work and as we're in our neighborhoods, Lord, to not be legalistic about things, but Lord, to be loving, to be gracious, Lord, to be a reflection of your love. Lord, I pray also that we would not allow the liberties that we have in you to be a stumbling block to others. May we not live our life in a way that it causes other people to fall into sin, but Lord, may we love them and edify them and encourage them. Lord, we love you so very much. You're such a great and an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said... Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.